Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Productivity Pod. If you are new to the show, the Productivity Pod is a conversation about the changing work landscape, working smarter, and course productivity. I'm your host, Richard Pollack, and I've made my career helping companies all over the world get the most out of and do the most for their workforce. Today, I'm going to interview a friend of mine, Joel Shine. Joel was tapped by the creditors committee of the then bankrupt Woodside in 2009, leading to the builder out of bankruptcy. Joel has seen the builder through a substantial growth period while under the ownership of some of the country's largest investment funds. In 2017, he led Woodside into a merger agreement under which the Japanese firm Sakuisi House Limited, which is Asia's largest home builder and internationally diversified developer, acquired 100% ownership of the company. He still remains as a CEO. Joel. Richard. Welcome to the show. Good to see you. Well, good to hear you, actually, at this point. We're going to see you at the end of the show for a few minutes. Let's get started, get right into it. Thanks for all these years of friendship, by the way. Really meaningful. And for those in the audience that don't know, I'm the one that introduced Joel to his wife. So he owes me a wife and two children, actually, from years and years ago. That is um, absolutely true. And there are days when I would have sent you the kids gladly, but now they're going to have Okay, well, I, there's no return policy on this, by the way. Okay, so tell me about your path. Well, I know about your path, but tell the audience about your path. When you and I started, you had your own company. And what about your path and how did you get to where you are today? And think productivity-wise, if you can, what drove you and what helped you personally get to where you are? So let's see. So always been in and around the home building and or commercial real estate business. Started off in a family business, realized that wasn't for me. Had a chance to form a couple of investment vehicles that invested in real estate, did that with uh, CalPERS and others, ran that route for a while and had sold out of that when I was hired in 2008 by the creditors committee to do some work on and ultimately take over a, a bankrupt home building company in Utah. And along the way, I would say a couple of things got me to where I am. Interestingly, probably the number one thing that actually got me to where I am career-wise has been my network and my ability to stay connected in the industry and, frankly, my ability to not burn any bridges in the industry. So when when the opportunity here came up for this particular company, the firm they had hired to do their, their market research had recommended me, their law firm had recommended me, their restructuring firm had recommended me because, um, and this is a lesson I'm trying to teach my kids, productivity is what you do during the day, but what you get an opportunity to do is driven by your network. And so you got to master both of them if you're going to get ahead. Right. And that comes down to, and for me anyway, and I, I'm sure you'll agree, is your integrity all along the way. Yeah. And the reason people recommend you is because you have been all along the way a, a man of your word. And, you know, I used to tell people, you know, when, when there's a, a high road and a low road, it, it, there isn't any discussion to be had. You take the high road and you go for it. And if it's less profitable or less fun in the short term, it always comes back in the long term. My dad used to always say, because, you know, we were in transactional business, that there's no such thing as a good deal with a bad guy. Interesting. Right. So you also moved your entire family from Los Angeles. I remember the sad moment when that happened. I said, you're not my friend anymore. And because I couldn't go to the Jonathan Club anymore, by the way. <laughs> and then you, you, you moved everybody to Park City, Utah. The productivity. See, I see you as somebody that's just so optimized. There's a whole chapter in my book about optimizing your workday, but it's really optimizing your life. You are the most productive person I think I've ever met in respect to their lives. 
in general. So what drew that decision? How did that come about that you said, I'm done here, but I'm moving to Park City? And this is way before any of us moving now to get out of COVID and had any stress. Go ahead. And by the way, that, that was 10 years ago. And, and at the time, a good handful of my friends just assumed I'd be coming back. Yeah. So it really was a time management decision. I had two 10-year-old boys who I needed to spend more time with. And I had gone from being the restructuring officer to being you know, chairman and CEO of a company where I also needed to spend more time. And frankly, the couple hours flying back and forth all the time and the not being able to have face-to-face with the business people during the day and not being able to tuck my kids in at night, I either needed to move corporate headquarters to LA or I needed to move me to Utah. And frankly, since it was always a supposed to be a short-term deal, it didn't really make any economic sense to move the business. So I moved myself. But it's interesting, right? So you, you need your relationships and you need your integrity to get the good opportunities, but they don't hang around very long if you don't perform. And, mm-hmm. and a big part of performing is the ability to be both efficient and effective, if you will, for lack of better terms. No, that's a great. Those are great terms. So how did you, if you take your daily routine, when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? So I have kind of a quirky daily routine because I'm not a great morning person. So I get up and I go into the kitchen and I have my iPad and I have a couple of cups of coffee and get through any email that came in overnight. We're owned by a Japanese company, so it's not uncommon to wake up to lots of emails because of the time difference. So I read a couple of newspapers. I go through the easy emails and I do the stuff that I can do efficiently with half my brain not working. Then I immediately work out. What time is that? Uh, it's probably now seven-ish by the time I get to the, to the gym. All right. So you get up at what time in the morning? I get up somewhere between 5.30 and 6. All right. Would you say that is highly productive time for everybody or is it just your biometrics that you feel like that's for you? And then when do you go to bed for that matter? Because sleep is really important for productivity, right? So it's interesting. I, I think that there are people who, are, who have convinced themselves they're night people. But I think the mornings are more efficient for a number of reasons, not the least of which is I get very few phone calls between 6 and 9 a.m. And mm-hmm. so the ability to sit and, and it, by the way, it's all different now under COVID because I'm not actually working out, getting dressed and going to the office. I'm working out, putting on a different set of sweatpants and going to my home office. <laughs> so but the routine hasn't really changed much. I've just inherited my commute time, which has actually made me more efficient, which is nice. So I sit down, then I go upstairs, and then the first thing I do, I, I have a very, very old-fashioned system. I have an upright filing system on my desk, and I have seven files, one for each day of the week. And in the course of the week, when I have, if I have a, my next call after this is a meeting on a specific project, and the file for that project is the next thing in my Monday file. I'm looking at it as right in front of me. And those files literally are on a staggered upright container, and they're sitting in front of me, and I'm looking at them as I'm talking to you. So, so they're paper files? It's either paper files or if it's an electronic file, then it's actually in my calendar. And if possible, I actually have the link to the file in the calendar. So for me, mm-hmm. the issue is it's all about my calendar. To-do lists simply tell you eventually I'm going to get around to this. If you take your to-do list and you are constantly migrating those things into your calendar. So you know if you looked at my calendar, probably half the things in there are actual meetings or phone calls. The other half are blocks of time dedicated to specific tasks that are really just appointments with myself. Because what I find is if you have a to-do list with, you know, 50 things on it, um, it's just sort of overwhelming. If you say, okay, I'm going to tackle these three today. I'm going to do this one from 10 to 12. I got a couple of phone calls for a few hours, and I'm going to hit the next one at 2. Then I'm going to take a half hour and go walk the dog, and then I'm going to hit the next ones from 4 to 6. 
and you just get religious about doing what's in your calendar, by the end of the day, it's usually all done. Oh, very interesting. Okay, because often these uh, productivity specialists, they will say work off a task list. In your case, you work off your calendar. Well, it's both. So I use my task list as the garbage dump. So everything that I need to do gets dumped into the task list. And it's a huge task list. And, And there's absolutely no distinction between making a call to my board of directors and setting aside a half hour to walk the dog. They're both just tasks on the same list. I, right. I would have no idea how to separate my, my life into two separate to-do lists. I've, I've never done that. And so, but if you stare at the list, it can be daunting. If you say, I'm going to take these three things, and I'm going to do this one in the morning and this one in the afternoon, you actually make a date with yourself to do them. Then it, it becomes very brainless because it's all, it's just in the calendar. Okay, so your calendar is really robust, sounds like, for almost every minute of the day. Even breaks, do you put breaks in your calendar? Yeah, my calendar is basically filled from 7 to 7 every day. But one of the slots would be half-hour lunch break. One of the slots would be walk the dog. One of the slots will be return calls because I keep a call list and I'll just set aside time to return calls, usually at a point in the day where I can hit the most possible time zones. And I'll block out time later in the day to do nothing but sit and answer all the emails that come in while I'm doing the other stuff. Otherwise, you get to eight o'clock at night and you realize you got 50 unanswered emails and then you're tired and you're not doing your best work. Okay, so let's talk about emails for a minute. Okay, you have a slot when you answer emails. And some productivity research shows, actually, I'd be curious because I show that you really don't need to look at emails more than twice a day times have changed and everybody kind of expects immediate response. But how do you feel about that? How do you work your emails? The various methods of communication and people's expectations are sort of the bane of the art of communication in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I block out, just because I have a lot of people report to me, I block out a chunk of time, two to three times a day to answer emails. And then I try not to stare at them the rest of the day. One of my own personal rules is I try to never end the day with any unanswered emails from anybody on my team. And sometimes that means dinner gets pushed back or whatever, but you know, that's life. I think between email, LinkedIn, Facebook, texting, WhatsApp, and all the rest, it's very easy to waste your whole day on stuff that you don't really need to do. And, and I actually see it happening a lot. And so I actually try to encourage my team only text me if you really need an answer right away, because I will try and answer those. 95% of the stuff we do can go into an email, and I will get to it before the end of the day. And we just commit to each other that, that as a team, you don't end the day with unreturned emails from other people on the team. Okay, so how many direct reports do you have? That's a problem. About 12, which is too okay. many, I know. Of course. What are you doing about that to be more productive? Fortunately, half my direct reports are very senior people, people who have been in their position for 20 years, people who are running, you know, they they have 100 people under them in their division, and they're really, you know, an area president. And so they require very little management. What I have found is in COVID world, I remember when I was, when I first became president of the first business I was, my, my dad looked at me and said, okay, so now you're going to end up spending so much time in meetings, you won't actually get anything done which is a line that I've never forgotten. And so I've always erred on not having enough formalized meetings. And I have found that in the COVID world with the informal communications so hampered that I've actually set, I have a couple of different people with whom I have a once a week, half hour catch up call from 7.30 to 8. I have a, a series of regular calls with different groups of people who need to be coordinated on Mondays and Tuesdays. 
with the goal that then you have very few of those on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so you can focus on other things. Okay, so the actual optimal time length of a meeting is X. It depends how many people are in the meeting. My check-in meetings with my most senior people, I can get through in 30 minutes very efficiently. The larger team meetings where you got 15 or 20 people on a longer agenda is an hour, but we are religious about starting on time and ending on time. So if we have an eight o'clock meeting and you dial in at 8.01, it will have already started. Mm -hmm. And if you have a topic that can't get done by nine in an eight to nine meeting, we will discuss where and when to to take the next step on it and we'll schedule a follow-up, but we won't extend the meeting. Right, great. Yeah, I feel the same way with meetings I have. Starts on time, ends on time. I even had meetings with my company where we all stood. We weren't even sitting down. So everybody's got to stand. Yeah, standing meetings, again, all of that gets a little tricky with COVID because there's no in-person meeting. Yeah. Okay. I think people need to be very careful. What, what I have seen, and it makes sense, there's a lot more miscommunication because there aren't as many in-person meetings. You need to double down on your communication skills and be cognizant that it's very easy to misread somebody's tone in a one-sentence text because they're typing it in a hurry, you're reading it in a hurry, and you could misread the tone, you could miss the intent. And so I think everybody, I mean, I'm always encouraging people to slow down a little bit and communicate effectively, not just quickly. Okay, let's talk about, it's a topic, it's actually words I'm not fond of because it was coined, I think, by the consulting industry called work-life balance. So it would generate more consulting income for consultants. But I believe, you know, work is life, life is work. They're kind of combined, they're not really separate. Can you talk to that philosophy? Uh, do you believe in that? That's just mine. But how do you feel about work-life balance? And then how do you manage it between work and life if, if there was that separation? I just think it's a bigger dis- discussion. I think for me, it's not work-life balance. It's, it's how much time am I going to spend on various parts of work? How much time am I going to spend working out? How much time am I going to spend with my wife? How much time am I going to dedicate to my kids? I think they're all just things that are important to me that I choose to make big chunks of time for. And there may be weeks where I'm working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And there may be weeks where, you know, in the middle of the week, I'm going to go ski for a day. And and I think you just need to be nimble in managing all those demands. I would have no idea how to answer in work-life balance because the two are so intermixed in my life that I wouldn't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, I mean, I go to, and for me, the, the place where you want to integrate them effectively, it, and obviously not a 2020 or 2021 conversation, but, you know, if I have meetings that I know I need to schedule with bankers in New York, I'll try and schedule them on a Thursday and a Friday, and I'll bring my wife with me and we'll stay for the weekend and hang out with friends. And it's a fun weekend. When I've had meetings in Japan, I've used it as a launching point and gone to Bhutan or Singapore or other places. As long as I'm there, I may as well make the best of it. So I think finding a way to do that is important. But I also think a big part of it is if you're having fun at work, then it's kind of, it's just kind of part of your life. If you're not having fun at work, you're really never going to be very good at it. Do you have any certain initiatives there? any well-being, wellness programs, financial wellness, emotional, social? Do you get in any of those structured programs in your company? We encourage people to do things like that. We have not historically had specific structured programs, but I encourage my team to keep an eye on their teams. And for me, you know, when I'm getting emails from leaders in the company at one o'clock in the morning, 
I view that as a problem, not a good thing, unless somebody's just got insomnia. So I encourage it. And, and I think part of it is I model it. I mean, there's no secret of the fact that I'll go skiing from nine to 11 on a, on a weekday um, if there's a fresh powder day and I'll catch up with the rest of my work later. And that's just the way it works. I do have a very good uh, Bluetooth phone in my ski helmet. So I, I think the one that I got laughed at the hardest for was I actually took a call from an outside board member while I was skiing, not on the chairlift, I was actually skiing. And so I'm talking to him and there's this wind whistling. He goes, what's that sound? And I go, I'm skiing. And he goes, no, seriously. And I go, I'm skiing. I'm on this run and I'm making, here, what? Left, right, left. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Okay, right. It's also pretty dangerous for the, <laughs> unless you're a really good skier, right? I wouldn't recommend it for intermediate skiers. Right. And certainly not me, who's a beginner skier who thinks he's better than he is. So. All right. Talk about COVID-19, right? How has this impacted the industry itself that you're in and your company? The easy answer is it's impacted my company the same as everybody else. So, so it's only one answer. And what it has done is a couple of things, which, which are really interesting. First of all, we are fortunate to be one of the few industries for whom net-net this has been a huge plus. Home sales for the last three, four, five months have been at, at the best level in my lifetime. And I've been in and around home building for 40 years. And I know guys a lot older than me who say the same thing. So it's spectacularly uh, good in terms of home sales. Part of what's driving that, though, is interesting. The, the good thing that's driving it is I think a lot of people have realized that they can work from home, but in order to do that, they need a different type of a home. So you're certainly people seeing people moving out of a high rise in downtown LA and moving into out to Riverside because if their job's in LA and they have to drive there every day, that's untenable. But if they're going to work remotely and they're only going to come in once a week, then you know you get three times as much square footage for half the money and you can have a home office and your kids can have a place to do their homework and everything else. So the general migration from urban to, to suburban or near and exurban has certainly been amplified. I'm quite confident that when COVID is over, a lot of people are going to move back to the cities. But I think that there are, you know, there's certainly millions of people who are going to make work from home a permanent part of their lives. We are by nature pack animals. I don't think very many people want to be at home alone five days a week, all day long doing their work. Most people want the social interaction. And I think most industries run better with more social interaction because it's the informal idea exchange that can be really important. But, you know, new home construction has been the net beneficiary. The part that won't last is part of the reason the new home market is so good is because the resale market, which, by the way, is traditionally 90% of the market. Think about it. If you had a home and you were going to sell it, do you want a bunch of strangers traipsing in and out of your house, looking at the house in, in the COVID era? And so, you know, our model homes are clean. There are nobody in there. Nobody lives in there. A lot of them have remote access. You can come in in the middle of the night and walk them. So it just feels safer. So that one of the sort of not very often discussed benefits of, uh, of COVID. What about the commercial construction in real estate? So I haven't built a commercial building in 10 years, so I'm not really qualified to answer that. But, you know, as, as will not surprise you, doesn't mean I won't. Everybody who I know who's running a company who has leases is reexamining how much space they need, how many people are going to work part-time from home. Do you really need a desk for everybody? Or can you have people work half-time here, half-time there, and cut your office space by half? I think multi-tenant office buildings are going to have a little bit of reinventing to do, and there's going to be a little bit of pain in that industry. But I think the idea that, that there's going to be some 50% vacancy rate because everybody's going to work from home, I would bet very highly that that is a stupid forecast. 
the analogy I use, Richard, is, is if you do something bad, they take you out of society and send you to prison. If you're in prison and you do something really bad, they give you solitary confinement. What makes us think that giving everybody solitary confinement for work is a good thing? Right. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Let's go back and uh, talk more specifically about productivity. Give us a few tips, if you can. I love the calendar approach. I mean, you're really structured all day, like you said, from seven to seven. I mean, I imagine too, knowing you, you say, oh, oh, it's time to go up and give Lisa a kiss. And um, you run upstairs, got the kiss, you spent 10 minutes, you went over, I got to go. She goes, okay, goodbye, see you later, see you at the next kiss. (laughs) And you move on with your day. What tips... Uh, just, it was just so rich, this conversation with wonderful tips. That, and I really admire the way you manage your, yourself and, it, and your business. And it shows. It shows because it's successful. So if there's anything else as I'm talking, you're thinking that you can leave the audience with is sort of final words. What might they be? Think about managing your own energy level. And so I know for what I do, getting up and doing certain things in the morning is really important. I have other friends, well, who who can simply get up, open their eyes and go straight to the gym. My body just doesn't work that way. So it doesn't work for me. I think manage your energy, really be self-aware of when you have the most energy. And And then I always tell my kids this, when you have the most energy, think about the thing you least want to do that needs to get done and put it in your calendar for that time slot. Because if you take the stuff you really don't want to do and get it done early, you just feel great about your productivity the rest of the day, and that encourages you to do better. One of my sons and I did a, a four-day sort of training thing with the Navy SEALs, and longer stories to how that came about. But one of the really interesting things was the guy gave a whole speech on making your bed. And he said, if you get up and the first thing you do is make your bed, you start the day knowing you did something you didn't want to do and you did it well, and you carry that confidence for accomplishment into the day with you. And that's why the Navy SEALs make their beds every morning. And I just thought it was an interesting way to think about setting yourself up for success. Yeah, that's and very. I, I've heard that speaker, if it's the same person, he's an admiral now. But, and he also said, and then no matter how bad your day is, you always come home to a bed that's been made. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 thought, I thought the Navy SEALs were very interesting in that. But, you know, a big part about being productive so I, I'm a big fan of the, the Covey grid, you know, quadrant one, two, three, and four. I'm sure you've seen that. And I think a big part of being productive is making sure that you're not in the business of spending all day answering somebody else's fire drill, which is why I think the idea of, you know, ignoring your email for big chunks of time is important. But looking at the grid and saying, I'm going to take on the quadrant two stuff, which is really important, but actually doesn't have to get done today. And I'm going to slot it in my calendar and I'm going to get it done. I think getting those kinds of things done enables you to be more productive. I think especially in the COVID world, path of least resistance is just sit around all day and answer emails and texts. And at the end of the day, look back and say, well, what the heck did I really accomplish? Right. Terrific. Joel, good to see you. Look at the camera for me. Not over there to the left. Look at the camera. (laughs) Good to see you. Really great to connect again. I look forward to seeing you in Park City. You're always welcome at our home and really wonderful time to spend together. Learned an awful lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck with your project and uh, hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Joel, for coming on the show. Now it's time for Smart Seconds. This is the part of the show where I will be sharing tips, themes, ideas of how you can work smarter today. So now let's explore a theme from chapter five of my book, Work Smart Now, 
which is engagement. Remember in the book, there are five buckets of productivity, absence slash presenteeism, well-being, technology, optimizing your workday, and engagement. So first question is how do you drive engagement? Well, you need to train managers. You need to communicate with employees, provide awards, rewards even, train everyone to in compassion productivity. That's covered in the book too. What that means is really caring about the individual. Now, those that can be totally satisfied with their job, but that's not totally engaged. Satisfied means I can go into work and I don't have to work that hard and then I can leave at five o'clock and then just leave it all behind. Somebody can be very satisfied and consider that job satisfaction. But engagement is ramping that up to being passionate about what an individual does. Every single individual in the organization contributes greatly. Every single individual, right down to the custodian, the person wiping, cleaning the floors, is important in the organizations. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a job. It would make sense to have them there. So drive it through training, communicating, awards, rewards, compassionate productivity, caring. Now, if you look at page 85 in the book, hopefully you bought it or you will, there's a business case. And every chapter is a business case for why engagement is important. It reduces turnover. It reduces absenteeism. And it increases presenteeism. And if you increase someone's presenteeism, meaning that they're more present at work than they were before you've, you've embarked on an initiative to improve engagement, that's a 10 times return on investment. That's a bigger return on investment than reducing absenteeism. So engagement, being passionate, bonded, have purpose in your job versus job satisfaction can be very happy and not engaged, not emotionally bonded, not really there most of the time, but be perfectly satisfied. Engagement is very, very important. 